Greetings, listeners. Your friendly neighborhood Puga here. Two small notes before this episode begins. First, it's our 50th full-length episode, a fact of which we are quite proud, woohoo, and relieved, phew, that we got to. We'll be taking a summer hiatus, so it might be a while before you see a full episode on our feed, but rest assured that we'll be back shortly thereafter. Second, we're talking about films this time, and while we do our best to avoid major spoilers, be aware that we have to go into some detail when discussing our picks for inspirational media. We'll just leave the skip ahead however many seconds button there at your disposal, if you so desire. With that, on with the show. This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Welcome in. What are we talking about today, Puka? We are heading to the silver screen to talk about films for inspiration for Changeling the Dreaming, of which there are umpteen. Yes. Well, 13 in this installment, but umpteen overall. Yeah, do you think silver screen just made me real so we don't have any black and white ones, I don't think. <laughs> Uh, well, I have a partly black and white one, which yeah. I will get to. <laughs> so. Spoilers, it's not The Wizard of Oz. It's not, although I think we're going to like probably reference, I mean, so our list is 13, but I think we're probably mm-hmm. going to make reference to about 40 over the course of this episode. So that being yeah. one of them, because there are plenty of um, Changeling-ish movies or films that you mm-hmm. could see through a Changeling lens. So yeah, what's what's the first one? Well, so the first one on my list is Amélie, or the full title is Le Fabuleux Destin d'Amélie Poulain, which is a French film from 2001 directed by Jean-Pierre Genet. So essentially, it's the story of this very shy and introverted, but very sort of whimsical and cute waitress named Amélie. And she decides to become a regular do-gooder who kind of sneaks around trying to improve people's lives, as well as punish snarky people. So she has these kind of meticulous stratagems that she puts together. And there's often these unexpected results that range from comical to chaotic. Eventually, she finds herself kind of caught off guard because she encounters this guy named Nino. There's this immediate sort of attraction and they're very similar. They're very quirky. All of the characters are pretty quirky in this film Mm -hmm. from the mains down to the background people. But yeah, there's lots of sort of interconnected storylines. Everyone's sort of lives in the neighborhood of Montmartre in Paris and meet at this cafe and kind of go around. It's, I think, as much a love letter to the neighborhood as it is a film about this character of Emily. But in terms of the changelingness, I almost see her like a shy boggin because she's very perceptive of social dynamics. She's good at heart, but has this kind of vindictive streak when people are mean. She likes baking and cat sitting. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of attention to it. I think the way they phrase it in the film is that she cultivates a taste for simple pleasures. So she likes skipping stones and she likes finding little treasures and stuff and noticing things that other people don't notice. I actually used a shot from the film as the sort of splash image for the channel on the discord for this episode. And it's when she goes to the theater, she talks about how she likes turning around and looking at people's faces in the dark 
And that to me seems like a very changeling thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Like to see the wonder on their faces. I think though, it's also a good example of dreamers. There's a line in the film where uh, somebody says, oh, times are hard for dreamers. And I think that that comes through, not in like a banality way, but just yeah. in, you know, these are people who are working odd jobs and kind of living day to day and trying to find the little pleasures where they can. And that mm -hmm. to me seems like also a very changeling. Yeah. And this is one of those, like, it could be, you know, she's a boggin. It could be she's a dreamer and it works either way. You know, it's changeling inspiration, I think. too. Yeah, absolutely. And there would be changeling waitresses or dreamer waitresses. And it's lots of stories, all of the little sort of stratagems that she sets up. A lot of it allows for the people in the film, the characters, to conquer their own personal banality through courage that she inspires or confidence that she inspires or love that sometimes goes off the rails. So mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of really sweet little moments. And it makes me think of the film as almost like a study in musing along lots of different lines because she builds up these relationships with all these different people in different ways. Mm -hmm. So. Something that I don't think often gets much attention in Changeling, but should, is the role of Dawn or Fate, and her decision to pursue this life of helping people out without them knowing is catalyzed by a very chance moment, and I like that as kind of a catalyst in a game sense. I know that storytellers often find themselves hard put upon to figure out how a party comes together. Sometimes it's just random little things not even like oh we all happen to be in this tavern when the enemy appeared it's like no sometimes you just accidentally kick a brick and reveal some kind of secret message mm -hmm. it's also just really pretty like the use of light and color and the soundtrack and the camera angles like all of it i really like Genet's cinematic style his films are all very similar to each other i guess but i really like them so mm -hmm. It's one of the Frenchest movies that ever French to France, I think. Certainly of the ones I've seen, yeah. yeah. It's very stylized Frenchness. Lots of accordion I think music. if it was any Frencher, it would just be a bedlam description, so. Yes. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And there are moments where the dreaming does seem to intrude in the film. Like, mm -hmm. you know, people talk to paintings and photographs and, like, have kind of these imaginative fantasy sequences, so... But overall, it's a very, I think, endearing film, and it really shows the sort of the the everyday lifestyles in the mortal world of mm -hmm. the glamorous, with a capital yeah. G. I think of two kind. There's two kinds of changeling inspirations. There's the fairy ones and the like glamour banality ones. Mm -hmm. That's very much in the glamour banality category. Yeah. The next one's Labyrinth, classic, in 1986 film directed by Jim Henson. I mean, it definitely is some of the glamour banality too, but it's definitely in the fairy category if we have to. Yes. Um, it's about 16-year-old Sarah Williams annoyed with babysitting her half-brother, baby Toby. And she ends up, she's a very imaginative child, kind of for 16-year-olds. You're like, hmm. Uh, anyway, she uh, has been reading a story book called The Labyrinth and basically curses her brother to be taken away by the goblins and uh they they come they uh so agree is. to it and take her baby <laughs> take her brother yeah and then she's like hmm, maybe that's not so good so she offers her dreams in exchange whatever and uh the goblin king jareth who's uh played by david bowie agrees to give her 13 hours to solve his labyrinth and find toby before he's turned into a goblin forever and then she goes on adventures with a dwarf named hoggle and 
it's a dreaming romp. She makes friends along the way. She eventually, you know, rescues her brother and realizes she actually loves her brother. So <laughs> that's sort of the plot. The very spoilers. Spoilers. Sorry. Yeah. Spoilers. There's a happy ending. As um, 80s fantasy often required. Yeah. But I think this one works with a happy ending too. And I think this works in a lot of ways for change. Like there's all the, the Fae descriptions I think were great. The labyrinth is like a dream realm. Uh, so many characters with like the, the, the sort of inhuman, not quite human logic and way of thinking that a lot of the characters have the whole, she's kind of canane, I'd say like, she's very mm. not quite connected to human society either. So yeah, there's a lot of changeling going on there. I think as like your dreaming romps are a bit of autumn world with mostly dreaming focus. Uh, why I like this film, I mean, there's so many things to like about it, not the least of which is David Bowie's costume. And oh, yeah, oh, yes. yeah it's just a fun <laughs> film. Yeah, there's so much, so many fun characters, so much fun stuff. It's all Jim Henson. So like, she's not a puppet and David Bowie's not a puppet. Almost everyone else is. I mean, there's the music. It's a musical. The songs are great. It gets stuck in your head. Remind me of the baby. So, it's, you know, it's good. So The baby is not a puppet. So that's... That's another one. <laughs> no, the baby's not a puppet either. Actually, none of the dogs are puppets either. Although there is a puppet sort of anthropomorphic dog. There's a puppet riding a real dog, which is just... The baby was Brian Froud's son, Toby, I believe, too. Oh. Because Brian Froud did the creature design. Wait, so the baby's name is Toby and the actor's is Toby as well? Yeah, Toby Froud. Hmm. I guess that made it easy because, like, his character just had the same name as him. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I had thoughts and feelings in my youth about David Bowie's tights. <laughs> yeah. And his uh, glass balls that he plays. Yes. I think also, so you mentioned the 13 hours thing, which he actually has a clock with 13, yeah. like that goes to 13, which I think is yeah. where the Changeling core book cover got it from. I imagine. Yeah. This is, this is one of those literally inspired Changeling the Dreaming. We'll have a few yeah. of these here. It is listed in the book. Yeah. So then next on my list, I have Mirror Mask, which is a 2005 film. It was written by Neil Gaiman, directed and conceptualized by Dave McKeon, who did the covers for the Sandman comic series. And it was apparently, I didn't know this until looking at my notes for this episode, developed at the Henson family home. So very glamour soaked, mm. this film. But the basic plot, it's kind of like a greatest hits of Gaiman's favored themes because you have like doubles and mm -hmm. the worlds beneath the worlds and everything. But the protagonist is Helena, who's this teenager whose parents run a circus and she's kind of sick of it. She wants to run away, but then her mother gets taken to the hospital and so she feels guilty and she ends up stumbling into this other world, which is the City of Light. And it's being invaded by these mysterious forces from the land of shadow because the Queen of Light has fallen into an enchanted sleep, and so the realm is vulnerable. She meets this juggler named Valentine, and he kind of helps her get her bearings and explore the world. She eventually learns that the reason why the state of affairs is like this is because the princess of the Land of Shadow, so the Queen of Shadow's daughter, stole a valuable item, which turns out to be the eponymous Mirror Mask. She learns that the royal family appears to be doppelgangers of her own family, and she eventually realizes that her doppelganger is the Princess of Shadow, who has used the mirror mask to trade places with her in the real world using 
the drawings that are on her bedroom wall and the shadow princess like once she realizes that she starts destroying the drawings so that helena can't get back so there's this kind of quest to find the mask but also i've not seen this movie weirdly really oh i saw it (laughs) i saw it opening day but it came out on my birthday so that was why yeah for some reason i think it got marketed as like a cheesy b-movie horror movie or something it was very strange so i just never really interested in it i didn't even know and all the stuff you're saying i'm like i why have i not seen this film oh it's it's really i won't call it a great film I think it's a really cool and fun and whimsical film. Mm-hmm. Well, I think all of these are pretty whimsical, but <laughs> but it's I think it it presents mm-hmm. a really excellent dreaming because it's this kind of eclectic city, the inventiveness of the chimera that run around. You have these like flying books that they hitch rides on. There are these spiders with eyeballs for bodies that are like spies. There are these packs of cats with human faces, like Every, every corner they turn, they discover some new chimerical beast. All the people kind of have masks and are sort of circus folk. It's one of those things. A lot of these films, I feel, fall into the category of you're not sure if this is real or a dream. And that fits with Changeling very keenly. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like the Alice in Wonderland slash Wizard of Oz slash Narnia kind of feel is in there. It also has a trope, which I think, again, maybe doesn't get explored enough in Changeling, is the child of Kinane or Fae or Dreamers who just wants to be normal, which I think is interesting to explore. Mm. And we need more circus representation in <laughs> Changeling. So I like that, to have this this girl who her act of teenage rebellion is to not be kooky and weird like her circus performer parents, you know? So I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And the mirror mask itself is a pretty awesome treasure because it opens portals and there are doppelgangers and all this stuff. Aesthetically, I think it's, I really like Dave McKeon's art. I think the covers for Sandman are beautiful. It's strange to see that style translated into film, but I think it works. It's kind of like a mix of um, almost like collage with low budget CGI, I guess I would say. I did also find mm. one negative review from the Washington Post that I wanted to mention where they say it's, quote, so single-minded in its reach for fantasy, it becomes the genre's evil opposite, banality. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, wonder where you got that from. So in terms of Neil Gaiman written films, I think it's one of his more unusual and distinctive. So yeah, I recommend. If you need a Dream Realm example, look no further. Yeah. And we have The Princess Bride, uh, 1987, directed by Rob Reiner. It is one of those stories where there's like a framing narrative where you have uh, Fred Savage, who's like sick and being read a story by his grandfather, The Princess Bride. And then the whole story, although there's like bats and forth and modifying it as we go and stuff a little bit. The, the story itself is about the love between Buttercup, a young woman living on a farm, and Wesley, the farmhand, who then goes off to seek his fortune and becomes a pirate. And then she ends up like going to marry the, the prince, Humperdinck. And, you know, Wesley comes back and starts fighting to like rescue her because she didn't really want to get married there. And uh, yeah, defeating all the, some of the people he's set to stop him, ends up recruiting him, and it's... It's one of those like, okay, this is how you like a story about a she that's not a dick. So it's good. Huh. Uh, 
and yeah there's good knocker inspiration in the in miracle mac you know a great ensemble cast and uh yeah i think it's also worth pointing out that the landscape of 80s fantasy film was a whole mood and princess bride very consciously i think is poking holes in it left and right like it is very mm-hmm. tongue-in-cheek and kind of satirical yeah and it, it works beautifully but also <laughs> works within it yeah it it works as the thing it's satirizing well mm-hmm. what i tend to enjoy too great sword fight scenes yeah. and things like that there's magic kind of yeah there's some magic some stuff so it, it, it works as the besides the framing narrative it's very much a dreaming focus i'd say story quite a good one and uh yeah, I love it. That's one of those films which I, I grew up watching nonstop. My, my siblings and mm-hmm. really my siblings and my father, we could probably just quote the entire movie and order at each other and mm-hmm. get through the whole script. Yep. Inconceivable. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, there's so many good quotes. I'm yeah. gonna... Did you ever read the novel, by the way? No. It's similarly tongue in cheek. I mean, oh, okay. In the same way that the 80s film landscape was full of these sort of sword and sorcery, bodice-ripping fantasies, the yeah. 70s mass-market paperback world was filled with these cheap fantasy novels. Oh, and so... yeah, the, the title is The Princess Bride S. Morgenstern's Classic Tale of True Love and High Adventure, The Good Parts Version. Yeah. <laughs> Accurate. Also recommend. Mm-hmm. Then moving into the world of animation a bit, we had considered not doing anime and having a separate anime episode, but after realizing mm-hmm. that there are just so many freaking films out there that we can talk about, including many yeah. from the realm of anime, we're just going to throw in a couple in this installment. The first of which is Paprika, which is 2006 by Satoshi Kon. The central premise is that there's a team of psychiatric researchers who have created this device called the DC Mini. I can't remember what the DC stands for. I think it's Dream Capture or something. I don't know. Uh, But it allows observation of and interaction with dreams. So the lead researcher on this team is this very sort of, not cold, but just kind of like prim and subdued researcher named Dr. Chiba. But she has this very bubbly super heroine alter ego dream hero named Paprika. And that's her dream self that she uses to enter the dreams of others to help them as kind of her. She moonlights as like this therapist, basically, in people's dreams. So one of her clients is this police detective who ends up investigating the research team because the scientists on it start losing their minds and or disappearing or dying. But it seems to be an inside job. So they're trying to figure out who's like sabotaging the research. And then as the movie progresses, it becomes clear that the DC Mini as a device is actually quite dangerous. Dreams start bleeding out from the dream world into the waking world and kind of like affecting the general population and affecting reality. So they have to find the culprit and put everything back before reality falls apart. And what could be more changeling than that? So I think of it almost like a case study in what happens when Oniromancy gets out of control. (laughs) But also, Mm -hmm. like, I guess kind of an example of how to do sci-fi with the dreaming. Not (sighs) sci-fi dreaming, but to have, like, sci-fi in the autumn world with the dreaming. It does make me think, though, like, Orpheus, but for changeling instead of Wraith. Ooh. Yeah, that would be cool. What would we call it, though? I don't know. I was also thinking of just ripping off, uh, what is it, uh, Robin Laws has a Dreamhounds of Paris role-playing game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yep. 
to be to be shelved for future uh, yes investigation. Mor- mortals mortals messing with the dreaming is a is an untapped wellspring, I think, for changeling. Yeah. Oh, we could have added the lathe of heaven to this list, mm-hmm. not the sci-fi channel one, but like the old PBS miniseries. Anyway, or TV film. Other stuff with paprika. I don't want to like spoil too much of it, but there's a very good depiction of dark glamour as well because there's like nightmare mm-hmm. stuff. And again, as a depiction of the dreaming goes, just the chimera are so inventive. There's all this kind of physics defying stuff and these dramatic transformations. It's very good for visualizing cantrips and unleashings too, actually. I think in the Discord, I posted this gif of one scene where Dr. Chiba kind of jumps through a TV and emerges through a video camera that's filming the scene that was on the TV. So I'm like, that's a way for your cantrip right there. And I like the idea of her as almost a changeling working with dreamer researchers and kind of keeping her expertise on the down low. But anyway, it's also just beautifully, beautifully animated. If you've seen Akira, it has that level of chaos, but then sort of the precise elegance of like the Miyazaki films. So it's very colorful and lively. Really cool soundtrack too. Yeah. Sometimes a neuromancy goes wrong and everyone has to work together to keep the worlds where they're supposed to be. So yeah. Next is, I would argue, the most Changeling the Dreaming movie there is. And it's also the Shots first... Fired. Well, yeah, and it's, it depends on what you mean by Changeling the Dreaming, but uh, it's, it's The Fisher King, 1991 film by Terry Gilliam. It's also the first of the Robin Williams films we'll be talking about. There's we could have done ten things by Robin Williams that are inspiration for Changeling, Changeling the Dreaming. So this I'll is also the... point out that I also have a Terry Gilliam film on my list. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that I could have done ten of his. I could even anyway. He, it, this is the story that there's a straightforward reading of it, and then there's the Changeling the Dreaming flipping on its head reading of it. But I guess a redeeming story of an autumn person. In a way, mm-hmm. so we have like a shock jaw on a radio show at one point convinces basically Minty and Staler Collar to commit mass murder suicide at a Manhattan restaurant, and that messes up his life for many years. And then he ends up meeting Perry, a man who's saying that his mission is to find the Holy Grail. Perry's a homeless man who was like affected by the shooting too, and they go through the whole. You know, so it's like a take on mental illness. I can't, I haven't seen it in a bit. I don't know how well that's actually handled as a content warning for seeing it, but. I would say it's handled sensitively from what I remember. Okay. Yeah. It was 1991, so a little bit. But (laughs) yeah, it's even like the sort of character is like, again, again, another non-asshole she type character (laughs) going on a quest and all that sort of thing. And it like inadvertently it's almost like using jack to become like lowers banality it's kind of a the plot's not as important for this but it's yeah it's it's such a changeling like is this real is this it's very 1e changeling kind of take i'd say and just it's a great film too but the sweet spot with changeling with you know is this real what is chimerical reality are you actually hallucinating at all that really is where this movie plays in, I think. Can a changeling be friends with an autumn person? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we even have, like, the now, at least in C20, I don't know if I had that beforehand, like, the quest of restore, 
So it's mm. like the quest for the grail is really the quest for yeah, yeah, lowering yeah. Jack's banality, I think. So it's a metaphor, not an actual cup. Mm-hmm. Although maybe there was a cup at some point. It's just chimera. Yeah. I would also say it's probably the the sort of real world grittiest film on this list. Uh, we'll see. Okay. Well, I mean, all right. Compared <laughs> the most centered in the real world grittiness. That's all right. Fair. Yeah. We'll get to the next ones, but yes. <laughs> so then next on my list is Pleasantville, a 1998 film by Gary Ross. And the basic plot of this is that there are two siblings played by Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. And Reese Witherspoon is very shallow and materialistic, and she's the popular girl. And Tobey Maguire just likes to watch marathons of his favorite TV show, which is also called Pleasantville. And it's a 1950s black and white sort of mm-hmm. Leave it to Beaver style family drama sitcom kind of thing. So one night they're fighting over the TV and they accidentally break the remote control and a mysterious TV repairman shows up and impressed by Tobey Maguire's knowledge of Pleasantville, because they bond over that, he gives them this very weird looking remote that when they activate it, transports them into the world of Pleasantville. Mm -hmm. They end up occupying the roles of the teenage kids in the main character family, and they kind of have to figure out Mm -hmm. how to escape while also playing along through the narrative. And Tobey Maguire, because he has an encyclopedic knowledge of the show, he's able to say like, oh, we're in this episode. Okay, so this is going to happen next. But it's a very sort of, the people are always happy. They're all Everything is always perfect. Firefighters don't know how to put out fires. They just rescue cats from trees, that whole kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And slowly, the presence of the two modern teenagers starts shaping the world in different directions. Reese Witherspoon immediately starts kind of flirting with people eventually hooks up with the character who's her character's boyfriend toby mcguire starts like introducing the other kids to music and art and stuff and the way that this is represented in the film is that the black and white scenes slowly start changing into color and that opens the door for commentaries about things like prejudice and racism and everything because it's like the people who have turned into full color people are kind of harassed and attacked even so it's i i won't i won't give away the ending but it's kind of the slow inexorable march of progress kind of comes for pleasantville and how people respond to that Mm -hmm. it's definitely a happy take on banality (laughs) like it's clearly not supposed to be the kind of place that modern individuals would want to live but like everyone's really happy i think it's kind of to, to borrow term from another genre it's kind of a hope punk version of Changeling, I would say. So it's rather than, I guess, running in fear from autumn people, what happens when you infuse them with glamour? What happens when Mm -hmm. the Changelings or whomever actually do create real and positive lasting change? You know, slowly the world of Pleasantville diversifies and becomes livelier and quite different from what we nowadays think of as the 50s. Yeah. So... The effects are really cool, too. I mean, they were groundbreaking for the time, yeah. and um, they're very subtly and artfully done. I heard, I've heard, i heard of this as also, uh, there's like this, I think it was from Cracked or something, like a take where you can like re-image, the, like rethink of the movie from the townspeople's perspective as like an alien invasion film. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like these two coming in from another universe and just corrupting and everything. And that's Changeling, too. Yep. So, again, good soundtrack. 
which matters a lot to me. So there's this wonderful uh, sequence. Toby Maguire's character in Pleasantville, the teenage son that he whose role he occupies is on his way to Lover's Lane with the sweetheart. And they're like driving up this road with um, Etta James's at last playing on the radio. And the announcer's like, here's something new for you kids. And it's like from the outside, but they're driving and there's like these flowering cherries. So it's all black and white, but then slowly like pink petals start flooding in. And it's just, it's just really visually striking. I think anyway. Yeah. Next is another Robin Williams film, this being Hook uh, by Steven Spielberg. It's a, another 1991 film. Robin Williams was busy. <laughs> and it is the sequel to Peter Pan. It's essentially Peter Pan as like a fae who eventually comes back to the mortal world and goes through the forgetting. And he's now Peter Banning. He doesn't remember <laughs> this, but he's married uh, Wendy's granddaughter i believe yeah yes until captain hook comes and takes his children and uh has to remember relearn who he is so it's you know very much a peter pan setting but that's pretty inspirational for the dreaming too and um yeah so it's about uh fake forgets who he is and then has to relearn and go back and deal with uh some some stuff to bring back his children but he's still definitely not all fae anymore in that sense or he's still middle-aged man with kids and stuff so yeah it's got some great scenes and i loved seeing it i love to like food there's like this food yes. fight scene with like it's like this is how i picture chimerical food yes exactly uh, <laughs> so it's been like uh you know it's about banality and glamour and remembering things and but also not you can't just re- retreat to the fantasy world entirely you need both sides too and yeah it also has quite a star-studded cast oh yeah like Julia Roberts plays Tink. And, yeah. And Dustin Hoffman as Hook is one of the best roles of his career, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. And Smee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, another one that I watched incessantly as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yes. So then the other animated film on my list is 2001's Spirited Away by Hayao Miyazaki. And we could probably talk about almost any Miyazaki film, but yeah. the ones that stand out as being changelingy, I would say, are Princess Mononoke, My Neighbor Totoro, and Howl's Moving Castle. Those are probably the other three. Yeah, I could see Ponyo too. Yeah, but really any of them. Yep. But Spirited Away. So the basic plot is that uh, there's 10-year-old, I think she's 10 years old, Chihiro. She's moving with her parents to a new home. And she's kind of a bratty 10-year-old. So she's kind of whining. She doesn't want to move. They end up taking a wrong turn and finding this tunnel that leads to an abandoned amusement park because apparently there are a bunch of those around Japan. It's also guarded by this like mysterious stone idol, though, which freaks her out. So that's like the first hint that something is amiss. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of wandering among these empty stalls, and eventually they find this restaurant where there's all this food that's just laid out. And the dad's like, oh, I'm so hungry. Let's eat something. And the mom's like, well, shouldn't we like, see if someone's here? And he's like, no, we'll just leave some money. So they start eating. And Chihiro's like, I don't think this is a good idea. But her parents are like, oh, this food is so good. And they keep eating and eating. And she wanders around a bit. And she meets this mysterious boy who's like, you shouldn't be here. Get out of here now. And so she goes back for her parents and discovers they've been changed into pigs. So it turns out that the amusement park is the site of this bathhouse for the spirits where they come to relax and unwind. And now she's stuck there. So she kind of 
has to take a job at the bathhouse in order to be able to stay, and that starts her on this quest to, among other things, find, rescue, and restore her parents to human form. But along the way, she meets all of these spirits that patronize the bathhouse and has to deal with them as well. In terms of changeling connections, it's like, where to start? You have the enchanted mortal, you have the foolish adults who get metamorphosis for being foolish adults. You have oaths and you have naming magic because her name gets stolen as a form of like a contract to keep her at the bathhouse. You've got all of these spirits who any one of them could be chimera that you meet in the dreaming. My favorite of which are the soot spirits. They're the cutest. Mm -hmm. But some are also humanoid, like changelings. And then you just have quest after quest, and it all takes place in this alternate world that's very dreaming-like. Less chaotic than maybe some of the dreaming representations that I tend to prefer, but very beautifully done. There's this one shot, actually I think it's an entire sequence, where like it's raining really hard for a long time, and then once the rain finally clears, the whole landscape has like a foot of water over it. And there's a train mm -hmm. that the, the characters have to take at one point, so you just see the train like carving through the water and it's just the coolest image yeah that's the trot i want i think it worked as like as like near dreaming level craziness yeah yeah for sure well, at least for my games yeah. yeah the bathhouse to me almost seems like the dreaming side of a freehold you know yeah like all of miyazaki's films it's just the color is gorgeous and there's such careful attention to detail to sound the designs of the characters are so whimsical. There's one part where after they go on their train journey and like they get off and they're like, oh, where do we go now? And up hops this lamp with like a hand for a foot and it kind of squeaks as it hops and it like bows and then leads mm -hmm. them. So it's just little moments like that, you know? Yep. It's excellent. It's also kind of a coming of age story too, which I think is a changeling kind mm -hmm. of story. Without spoiling too much, the protagonist does mature by the end. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of that childling to wilder kind of change there. Yeah, or at least bratty childling to thoughtful childling. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. Yeah, next is the film for that was making me go, I don't know if uh, well, I was thinking Fisher King might not be the darkest. Pan's Labyrinth, which is mm. uh, 2006 by Guillermo del Toro. And this is one of those definitely fae, but also a lot of fairy tales are also ghost and underworld stories. So it kind of all fits with that, right? So the fae side of things is you have the king of the underworld loses his daughter, Princess Moana, years ago. Sunlight blinds her and erases her memory when she enters the human world and becomes mortal and eventually dies and he wants her to return. And then the human side is set in 1944, Spain, fascist Spain under Franco, with a 10-year-old Ophelia, who just, oh my goodness, goes through hell. Yeah. And then starts <laughs> meeting up with like a fawn who believes she's the reincarnation of Princess Moana. And there's like tasks to go through. So it's like a fairy story, but interspersed with fascist spain during world war ii not that they were in the world War, but anyway yeah it, it just it's dark um and you're left going okay yep. was she hallucinating this and did she commit suicide at the end or is she now how is she now in the underworld it's fun spoilers spoilers sorry i have to say that though like it's so yeah maybe we could say another way to phrase it i know i, know. Yeah. I prefer to think that she did get home 
and that yes you know it is a happy ending it's the fey like i think this works and i like it when you do not change when you're like is that like from a moral perspective that person just die or are they like now in the dreaming you know right but it's also a good demonstration of a happy ending is rarely a happy ending for everybody (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and it's 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 one of those you go through such hell to get there it's very dark very good very changeling so very spanish her stepfather the general is definitely a is a really good example of an autumn person too i feel mm-hmm. yeah perhaps even dantaine yeah yeah because he's a little bit not entirely mortal either seeming hmm I heard it described once as a cinematic fairy tale in terms of its look and its feel. And I do think that, mm-hmm. I mean, aside from fairy tales that have been adapted in terms of a story that was written for the screen by a modern person, I do think it is one of the best examples of that as a genre. Yeah. And it, it, it goes very squarely. I remember I said like some books are like very, some studies are very fairy. Some of these are very fae. Some of these are very like Carlyle banality. This is like such right down the middle there. Maybe it's the most changing mm-hmm. of these two, but it just didn't inspire changing because it came out in 2006. Well, but they mention it in the C20 core book. So yeah. it is now officially mm-hmm. an inspirational film. <laughs> yeah. But it could have, maybe, maybe, maybe Guillermo del Toro is secretly a changing the dreaming fan. We never know. I would not be surprised. Yep. Because another one, again, there, there are many options we could have included the shape of water, which I think of as mm-hmm. a pretty changing film as well. Yep. And famously, he didn't do the Hobbit films, but he should have. Mm-hmm. Or the Hobbit film. There should have been a Hobbit film. Well, all right. Brief sidebar. I think this is actually the video essays of Lindsay Ellis were where I heard the description cinematic fairy tale. Now this is all kind of coming back to me. And from those essays, I learned it was originally planned to be two films directed by him. And I'm like, yeah, that mm. would have been. I would have watched this. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Well. In terms of dark films, I'm going to give Pan's Labyrinth a run for its money and try and throw a darker film at the at the plate, uh, which is another Terry Gilliam film, Tideland, from 2005. And, and Terry Gilliam, I mean, there are so many films. I mean, we could talk about Brazil. We could talk about The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. We could talk about The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. There's lots of options. This one is adapted from a novel by Mitch Cullen. The protagonist is Jeliza Rose, who's the daughter of these two addicts. I believe they're musicians, but they're needle-using addicts, played by Jeff Bridges and Jennifer Tilly. So at the start of the film, her mother overdoses, and her father kind of freaks out uh, and flees with his daughter. They return to his childhood home on the Texas Plains, although I learned it was actually filmed in Saskatchewan, so go figure. Mm. Fairly early on in the film... He overdoses and spends the first half of the film slowly decomposing. While that's going on, Jeliza Rose kind of retreats into a fantasy world, wandering the plains on her own. She has these severed doll's heads that she kind of puts on her fingers and talks to. So those are her chimerical companions. Eventually, she meets the neighbors. There's this woman, Dell, who's blind in one eye because she was stung by a bee. So now she's like petrified of bees and she's very eccentric and weird she cares for her brother dickens who believes that the train that goes by is a monster that he must eventually defeat dell also does taxidermy 
So halfway through the film, she taxidermies Jeliza Rose's father because it turns out she had a childhood crush on them. Mm. And there's this scene in the middle where they're all sitting at dinner together. And it's one of the most unsettling, surreal scenes in a film I've ever seen. It's one of those films, again, I won't give too much away. It definitely deserves content warnings. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like every five minutes, you're like, oh, surely it can't get any more messed up than that. And then it does. And you're like, So it just spirals into kind of more and more messed up territory. Mm-hmm. In which Jeliza Rose is complicit as a changeling story i think it's a good example of a childling slipping into their unseelie side in a big way there's lots of dark glamour and lots of bedlam in the mix there was a discussion on discord i can't remember if it was on our server or elsewhere where people were talking about drugs in relation to dark glamour and banality and i think that as a film it shows at least for i guess opiates the kind of ultimately damaging complex of experiences that they create for everyone around them. And it's also set in the rural plains, which I feel like is a rare thing to see in these kinds of films. So, um, well, definitely Saskatchewan would be the perfect place to film that. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been, but so I've heard. It's the flattest land I've ever been in. It's also such a weird crooked shape. Yeah. There are lots of moments when it almost feels unclear in changeling terms whether you're in the dreaming or the autumn world. And it makes me feel Mm -hmm. like there should be more, to borrow a mage term, shallowings like that in the game. Mm -hmm. There are wild portals that can occasionally slip you into the dreaming, but I want there to be entire expanses of land where it's like, is this real? I'm not sure. So maybe both. That I feel like would be. Yeah, that and more like the hint at it but more like mortal interactions with the dreaming. Yeah. A little bit. Well, and so the character of Dickens and his quest to defeat the train, it has this veneer of almost like a childling's monster hunt, but he is trying to blow up a train. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, aesthetically it veers between some really dark shots and then glaringly bright because there are these wide shots on the planes that are like saturated with color Another interesting thing that he that Terry Gilliam does with the film is there'll be these like extreme close-ups when Jeliza Rose is talking to the doll's heads on her fingers. And I'm like, I like that because that's child scale is to have things that are kind of close and small, but like detailed. So that perspective I like. It's very elegantly composed. I also watched it for class, which I also I can't really believe, but it happened so anyway it's quite dark next (laughs) yes next is another dark content warning to see it movie but not as much as some of these other ones which is also by robin williams this is what dreams may come but directed by vincent ward 1998 now this this movie's like not entirely changeling inspiration but it has big i'll get into why i'm thinking because it's about people who are dead and the afterlife and the plot's almost not as important for talking about the changeling aspect but the depictions of the afterlife are all based on the like subconscious of those who are in it and it's such big dream realm inspirations for me like the visuals of it 
the concepts of what they're like there. There's like one where it's like in an almost a kind like an oil kind of abstract landscape painting, but like living in it. And there, there's all this. That's such a big changeling, ins- like dreaming inspiration for me. If you're dealing with the dreaming, going into the dreaming or ornamancy or whatever in someone's dreams, like I think it's worth it just for that. For that, and it's also I like the movie, but does get some dark themes, content warning for things like suicide and things like that. But it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, again, it's about ghosts, but I mean, there's been some overlook before with underworld story or afterlife stories and, uh, you know, fairies. So this is not a fairy story, but this is a, yeah, just the afterlife realms are just such a good dreaming inspiration for me, I think. I especially like the ones that are made of paint. Mm-hmm. The yeah. way that they did that in the film. Yeah, but the really... Yeah. Scary, depressing realms, too, are also great for some darker aspects of the dreaming, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really mm-hmm. good hell depiction, actually. <laughs> yeah. As, as those go. Again, did you read the novel? No. The novel is very different. Okay. It's good, but it's a lot more new agey. Mm. And it's by Richard Matheson, who I think is best known for I Am Legend, which is very different. <laughs> so him and... Uh... Uh, Philip K. Dick are like the best at writing books that get made into very different movies from their books. Well, and Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. But I think just for the visuals, it's worth the movie. Yeah. It was also, I'm trying to remember something about the production of it. Cause it was, it was definitely shot on film, but it was shot specifically on like film that's used for landscape photography, I think. And that mm-hmm. when you see like those sweeping visuals, yeah, that's like Fuji Velvia film. Isn't that some kind of cheese sauce? Yeah, vivid colors, like yeah, largely, because yeah, it really depends on the scene. Like it's one of those where the it's even hard to describe why, but like just the quality of colors sets where you are, which is yeah. Mm. So it's like here's yeah, yeah. here's the mortal world, the autumn yeah. world, whatever. But it also has an aspect of mortals interacting with the dreaming in an interesting mm-hmm. way because part of the dreamscape gets created by the mortal dreamer who's still alive, at least for part of the film so yep see i wouldn't say the plot is an inspiration but so much in that is an inspiration so you could turn it into i mean you could easily turn it into a changeling plot though of like rescuing someone from bedlam or the deep dreaming or something uh, if you so desire maybe i think it would work better as wraith as a probably yeah. realms even that does kind of fit yeah well, it's not world of darkness so but <laughs> So then, last but not least, I want to preface this one by saying there are tons of adaptations out there of the Shakespeare play Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. Dozens upon dozens. The one that's set at a rave, I think, could work for Changeling. The one where Callista Flockhart wears a top hat and rides a bicycle. Maybe that one, too. The Peter Hall one from the 60s that has, like, Helen Mirren, Judi Dench, Diana Rigg, David Warner, Ian Holm. Ian Richardson, like that one, excellent. But the one that I'm going to talk about here is from 2008 called Were the World Mine by Tom Gustafson, adapted from a short film he did just called Fairies. So the main character is Timothy, who's a high school senior bullied for being gay at his all-boys prep school in the Midwest somewhere. He's got a crush on the star quarterback. He's being raised by his mother because his father left when he came out. And his two best friends, who are like indie skater types, one of which is Zelda Williams, daughter of Robin Williams. So even though he's not in this, there's the connection. 
there's an English teacher played by Wendy Roby, and she's fantastic. And if she's not a puka grump in this film, I will eat my shoes. She gives him the lead in the Midsummer Night's Dream school play. So he plays Puck in the musical adaptation of the, the play, I should say, because she's decided it'll be a musical. And she lends him her copy of the script, in the back of which he finds the recipe for the flower love and idleness, which for anyone who hasn't read or seen the play or an adaptation of it, when the juice of that flower is dropped in a person's eyes, they fall in love with the next person that they see. Mm. So he creates this flower and starts running around town, squirting people in the eyes, and eventually the whole town goes queer. Mm. So the results of that range from sometimes really sweet to really farcical. It's very, 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 very camp, I should mm-hmm. say. <laughs> like, when the townsfolk are turned gay, they somehow become very happy and gain incredible ballet ability. Mm. Go figure. It's very lighthearted, even though it does deal with like homophobia pretty directly in a number of different ways. So it's it's not exactly an insightful commentary on the subject, but it's kind of like as teen films go, I wish that I had been a few years younger, so I would have been like the right age to see it when it came out. I, I think having like a, uh, not power fantasy, but the, the sort of fun, I haven't seen the movie, but it sounds like, yeah, the, the fun, what if things go well, like in a fantastic way, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll say it, it has a happy ending. <laughs> there's a little bit of pontificating that I like. Like there's one scene. So after Timothy has squirted the eyes of all the other cast members who are all like, also members of the football team or whatever. There's a meeting of the parents and they're outraged and they're like, I caught my son in bed with his best friend and blah, blah, blah. He said that he's in love with some, with, I forget the kid's name. (laughs) The coach is there. The coach has also been squirted in the eyes and has fallen in love with the straight laced principal. And so they're talking about how to punish the kids. And the coach is just like, has everybody gone insane? He's in love, love. Like Mm -hmm. he can't believe what he's hearing that. So, so there are moments like that, which I don't know. I think at the time where it came out, it felt a lot more aspirational than, well, I don't know, given the state of Oh, there's still places for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's very much like a portrait of small town America splashed with light in the darkness, which mm-hmm. I think fits well with Changeling. Great example of how a treasure can go wrong, one that has chicanery or summer i guess embedded in it an example of how enchantment can cause mortals to behave differently i wouldn't go so far as to suggest that they behave this differently Mm. but i i do think it drives home that point of like yeah an enchanted mortal is going to be a little bit you know it's not just they can see fairies they're going to have all of their senses and maybe all of their sort of emotions opened up in a way that maybe doesn't go in a direction that anyone expects. Mm-hmm. So, And because it's a musical, the soundtrack is, again, very... I won't say it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that I, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's a campy teen film. It's fey-inflected. Mm-hmm. Maybe like Pleasantville, it's kind of one of those films where it's a town full of banal people who just need to have their eyes opened for everything to yeah. be a little bit better. So, so we could have done Footloose, I guess, too. Right? We could have done a lot of things. Yeah. What, what are some of the ones we could have done? <laughs> well, there's like five more Robin Williams films. What were the ones we cut? Um, Never Ending Story, people will bring up. We debated that one. 
it could have been there. Fern Gully. Fern Gully, yeah. For Robin Williams. I thought about including Requiem for a Dream for a really dark one. Yeah. <laughs> That's banality. That's two hours solid of banality. Mm-hmm. But really well done. Actually, we could have done Clockwork Orange. We could have done Fahrenheit 451. Mm. We could have done... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hugo would have been an interesting one. I'm scrolling through the Discord, and I think ones that were mentioned include Harvey, The Secret of Kells, Dune, the new version, Song of the Sea, Aquaman, Puka, with, with the exclamation point, Deadpool, E.T. <laughs> In the middle of the channel, there was an extended discussion about Martin Luther for some reason, but I'm just going to scroll through that. Um, Ink, Does the Dog Die in the Mouth of Madness? Attack the Block, Annihilation. Oh, in terms of dreaming, Annihilation is great. Return to Oz, The Wiz, Coraline, uh, I Kill Giants, Owl House. I actually don't know some of these. Mm -hmm. Could have done James and, and the Giant Peach, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Tim Burton films. I mean, we could. Like... Night Before Christmas. And yeah. Okay. All, all the Tim Burton films. Yes. Stand and Deliver, Perfume. So yeah, there are a lot of options, but I think that this is a good set of 13 because in particular, I mean, I wanted to avoid really harping about the ones that the authors of Changeling specifically called out, even though some of those are my favorite, like Secret of Rowan Inish is one of my favorites. And that's mentioned in, I think, C20 as like an inspirational film. I'm sure we'll probably do another episode down the line with another 10 or 13 or however many. But I think that fundamentally, like you said, there's that division between films that are about fairies in the modern world in some way, and then films that are about the conflict between glamour and banality. Mm -hmm. And I think that even though the second of those probably is more um, broadly applicable, like probably comes up in a lot more places, the fairy films actually do have quite a diversity as well. And... I wouldn't actually be sure. I think the fairy films might outnumber the glamour versus banality films, but I think it depends how widely you define glamour and banality, though. Mm, yeah, and and what people do with it. Like, do you have to be a fairy to enchant someone or spread glamour to somebody? Yeah, is an autumn person irredeemable? You know, what defines a treasure? Also, what's what's a fairy? Yeah, and that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, E.T. That's not explicitly a fairy or about glamour and banality. Go see films, yeah. everybody. Yes, there's lots of films, and we can touch on more inspirations, maybe. We'll decide what kind of take. Maybe not just a part two, but maybe we'll find a new yes. slant on it. And to hear that, you can go to changelingthepodcast.com, follow us on Mastodon, changelingpod at dice.camp. You can follow our Facebook page, Changeling the Podcast. Uh, you send us an email, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. If you like what we're doing, go to our Patreon patreon.com slash ctp is it uh patreon.com slash changeling the podcast that makes sense yeah and it's discord.me slash ctp for our discord you can talk about more movie inspirations with us and uh, how to bring them into your game even links to all of the above will be in the show notes mm -hmm. along with probably trailers or other clips from these films sourced from the interwebs yeah and once again i'm josh I continue to remain the character known as Puka. And remember, if you die and or get trapped in the dreaming, make sure you were picturing yourself in a good place when that happened. It'll, just, it'll turn out better for you. 
And there's also nothing nobler than true love, except maybe a nice MLT, mutton lettuce and tomato. The mutton's nice and lean, the tomatoes are crisp. So perky. One aspect of film that we didn't touch on in this episode is the industry itself, for a changeling game could be set in Hollywood just as easily as any other place. On the one hand, film is a case where multiple senses of the word glamour can co-occur. The idealized beauty and effortless elegance manufactured by the studio machine can certainly inspire dreams of fame and fortune. On the other hand, one may find themselves trapped in a corrosive pit of banality that sucks the living soul directly from the body in record time. Just ask a C-list casting director, or a 19-year-old actor making ends meet until their big break by picking up shifts at the local Zanko Chicken. We suggest you storytell. The cutthroat nature of the film industry wouldn't be what it is without awards, so we'd like to take the opportunity to bestow the following patrons of our podcast with a chimerical best supporter statuette. Derek, Dorkadus, Jason Vines, Oreo, Roz Caboos, Sandshaker, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. If you'd like to be nominated for this esteemed echelon of persons, or at least get a shout-out at the end of each episode, please consider stopping by www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast and signing up. You can also support us by leaving a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience. We've also got a plucky little Discord going at www.discord.me ctp. Drop in, hang out, join the conversation about all things glamorous in whichever sense of the word. As the curtain drops on this outro, all that remains is to say, keep on dreaming. <laughs>